0: The benefits of doing God's will, as we saw in First Peter 2.15, one of them was that you can put a muzzle on the, uh, uh, the unsaved man. Uh, let's look at that again, and then we'll move on. First Peter 2.15. The word that he uses there is actually the word phimu. And so the indication is that the believer, when the believer is actually able to suffer for doing good, Instead of the opposite, suffer for doing that which is evil or that which is lacking in character. Um, and, and interesting enough, here he uses the word kakos. Now, I, I believe, I draw a line between kakos and, and paneros, which is two different evil words. As I've studied it, kakos seems to be the kind of evil you do when you're just concerned about yourself. Now, a good place to see that would be First Timothy 6. The love of money is a root of all evil, right? So when it comes to money, most people are not trying to share that. <laughs> I think that it's more personal. I think Kakas is more of a personal evil. And panderas is more of an evil where you're doing evil and you're, you're not just w- wanting to do it by yourself. You're wanting to, it's, I would call it more of a conspiratorial evil where you're, you're trying to get other people involved. The gang members are a good example of that. Most of these gang members, and we found this out when we were in Portland, if you got them by themselves, they were just wimps. But when they got together, it was the sum total of them together that they felt more empowered and emboldened. right? And so and that would be more ponderous evil. And the word that he uses here is more of a singular evil. I think he's looking at the individual believer. He's looking at what you are doing individually. And he's saying for it is the will of God that in, in doing good at well, well doing is doing good uh, you might silence a muzzle. Uh, the word uh, there is silence is actually the word that's translated muzzle. And really the word means to make speechless. Joseph Thayer uses that definition. You just make it speech. They're, they're speechless. What can they say? Well They might say something, but you know there's a difference between being blameless and somebody saying something that's true. You see, somebody can say something that's true if they said, if they saw me, for example, and I was going out and rebelling and leading an insurrection against the government, and they said, Look at that pastor over there doing this thing, you know, and say whatever they said about it, uh, as opposed to. Uh, If I wasn't doing it and they accused me of it, there's a huge difference. And so by doing good, the believer can put to silence. Doesn't mean that they won't say something that's a lie, but it won't be true. You would be blameless in it for sure. The ignorance of uh, foolish men. And so one of the benefits is that you can shut up. You can put a muzzle on foolish men who are saying things and would say things about God that is not true because of what the believer is doing. Now, I believe here also one of the benefits is that the believer is going to be rewarded at the Bema seat judgment. And you could see that. And it, I think it gives the believer <coughs> confidence. Now, uh, we don't see the will of God use relation to this, but I did use it in that in that way, because you can see it in Second Corinthians five. Uh, we were and Don was talking about the intermediate body, and this is where you see the issue of the intermediate body. And it's just a fascinating thing to think about, the intermediate body. Boy, if, if you and I die tonight, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing that we have the confidence of knowing that we're not going to be disembodied spirits just floating around? <laughs> and I tell people, I think it disappoints them that there is no such thing as ghost. What a wonderful thing that... Uh, I, I used to be horrified when people said it's grandma died or somebody died and I saw him hovering over my bed and this kind of foolishness. They thought it was wonderful. It scared the daylights out of me. Uh, and I'm just so happy that that's not happening. There, there are no such thing as ghosts. That everyone that dies, as you see in uh, Luke 16, unsaved people, they're in a fixed location. And I, you could see there that they get an intermediate body as well. Those in uh, heaven, the the believers that die, they get an intermediate body. You know, it's funny. It doesn't say that about the unsaved person. But you can see as he's in Luke 16, it doesn't call it an intermediate body. But what did he say? Dip your finger in the water. Come and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame. And so even the unsaved people are getting an intermediate body when they die. So there's no disembodied spirit, no Casper, the friendly ghost People floating all over the place and this kind of stuff. And that's just the thing that superstition is made of. And uh, I've heard so many of that, so much of that, where I came from. So much superstition over people that died and were floating around. And they saw grandma sitting in the seat. And this, all of these old wives tales and this craziness. And they scared scare the bejesus out of me. I mean, I was just, <laughs> just yeah. You know, so I was glad to find out that wasn't true. 2 Corinthians 5. Notice what Paul says, and I just, I just love his attitude here. It's just amazing when you see what he says. And so you could, you could not rise to where he's at, not having a picture of the will of God in view. Now notice what he says here in verse 5. Now he that wrought us for the same thing is God who has given to us the earnest of the Spirit. Um, and so um, here it is, uh, down payment. Of the Holy Spirit? Verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident, uh, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, uh, that we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, um, I say, yet, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor. Um, and so this word for labor uh, really is that you could translate it, we are ambitious. Or really, you could say this, we are, des- we are zealously devoted to the cause of doing this. Uh, we're zealously devoted to the cause so that whether present or absent, we might be well-pleasing to him. Now, how many believers, how, how, that, that's our motivation. You know, most of what happens in Christendom is that believers are trying to please other people. They're trying to please God uh, in the wrong way by doing what they think God wants, but they're not of the right mindset to do that which is well-pleasing to him that he set forth. Now, notice in verse 10, he gives us word for uh, and so here's your gar word there, Don, that we talked about Saturday. There's yeah. this, that little word, gar. <laughs> so it's explaining what he just said. Why? Why is he zealously devoted to the cause of doing what's well-pleasing to him? For we must, uh, yeah, okay, good, good translation there. Don was talking about that Saturday, that a good way to translate the word for, this gar, is because. And what is that? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, really, it's, you can say, for it is necessary. And I find that interesting that he uses that word there. You don't see it translated in your English, but it's, the, uh, it's one of these uh, constraint words. And it's the word die, uh, death. Really, I would say die or just pronounce it death. And it has this idea, it is necessary. It is is necessary that this happens. It is necessary that we all be made to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And really, it's the word judgment seat. There is the Bema seat of Christ. And what is the purpose of appearing before this Bema seat? In order that Or with the result that everyone may receive the things done, and I would say, uh, through his body. Through his body. So here we are in these bodies. And you know, this is a funny thing. My parents used to do, they would tell us to do stuff, and they never said anything about just making sure that we did it. But when it came time to pay the papa, the piper, if we hadn't done it, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. They weren't there just on us all the time saying, you better get this done, you better get this done. But they just said it, and it was like there would come a time when it was time to check to see if you had done it, um, you were going to be in a lot of trouble. And I think about this sometimes. We're in these bodies, and God is not coming down from heaven saying, Kevin, what are you doing? You're not getting this done right. Get Get it done. Get on it. I'm not saying any of that. He's just allowing believers uh, as they're guided by the Holy Spirit. He nudges you in certain situations when you're trying to get off, but he's not coming down directing you saying this is what you should be doing every single day. This is what you should be doing. This is what you should be doing. This is what you should be doing. He's not doing that. But notice there's going to come a time when the things done through the body, through the instrumentality of this body, that those things are going to be um, uh, are going to be at work or be judged. And you can put this in with 1 Corinthians 3, and it talks about the works that are done in these, in these bodies and, and through these bodies, um, according to what he has done. And what's interesting there with that word done is the word praxis. And so it's looking at a continual behavior. It's something not that you've done once. This praxis word is a totally different word, and it looks at the fact of continually doing something. Yet you're continually doing that particular thing, whatever it is. What he is what he is what he has practiced. And notice the the, um, the two things, the two um, um, possibilities. Whether it be good, and there's that agathos word there. Now I, this is why I believe. I really believe this is agathos is actually going back to the motiv- where this motivation is coming from. Now I don't think that if you're carnal, I don't think that you can have this kind of motivation. Agathos is that which is beneficial, that which is uh, 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 makes for happiness, and so there is a beneficialness, there's a benefit of this kind of goodness, this kind of work that's manifesting. and I think it's going back to the motivation of the person, why you're doing it, right? And so... A lot of what happens then is that so I'm doing these works and the motivation starts there. And then what it's seen, what it's seen on the outside is kalas. People can see the result of that motivation, that it's a beautiful thing, that there is these works that they see and they say, oh, what a wonderful thing as they see it in activity but it starts with the right motivation. And so notice whether it be good or evil. Now there's a, a, te- a textual variant there, and I really believe it's actually phalon. Um, and it could, some <laughs> translate it kakos. So kakos would mean that it's lacking in character. I did things that were lacking in character for my benefit. If it were phalos or phalon, which is the word that is used there, it means that I was doing things and they were just absolutely good for nothing you just wonder, there's a lot of people doing things today, a lot of believers that are doing things, and people, even Christians, other believers are applauding them, patting them on the back, and thinking, oh boy, what a great thing you're doing, and it ain't bit no more the will of God than a man in the moon, and God's going to judge it, and he's going to see it a little bit differently.
1: Pastor, clarify, I, I missed it. You think it's what is preferable here, phallos or
0: Kakas? Correct, phallon, phallos, phallos? yeah. Yeah, and so notice, um, and so you see this, and so uh, just as a note on that, you look at First Corinthians, the third chapter, and you see uh, First Corinthians, chapter three, and verse thirteen. Uh, start start with verse twelve. Now, if any man's work shall uh, shall be if any man builds upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble and so I I think about that back in the day man I could think of a lot of works and hey God knows I just think a lot of these things I did because I know my motivation for doing them actually a lot of things I did back in the past I didn't even want to do them I did them out of drudgery (laughs) right I just think they're going to go up in a blaze of glory stand back if you're behind me Miss (laughs) J Well yes.
1: Most of us that have been teaching training like that have been believers for a while have dealt with the issue that it's very popular, albeit errant, to see sin in this context. Uh, these are wood hand stubble, but something that
0: Correct. Correct. Right. Well, some people believe that this, and, and uh, Dan is asking whether or not some people see sin here. I think what's happening here is just the works themselves that are going to be manifest. And some people believe this is going to be like a Christian purgatory, right? And we're going to be up there and say, "Oh no, not that, not that." And uh, no, I don't see that. It's just that the works—it says that the works are going to be put uh, up for judgment, and that the works are going to be made manifest for what they truly were, and what sort of work it was. Yes. I think when you look back at, at the question of falos or caucas, I think the, uh, the, the reason I'd say fallon is better is because Paul was saying putting himself into what he was doing. Hmm. Now, I don't think that Paul was in danger of doing something if he was being spiritual that would be lacking in character. Right. But he could wind up doing something get carried away, and maybe do something beyond what you should do that is worthless. Yeah. I would say probably, we look at that, because I think a spiritual believer is far more prone to do something maybe beyond, or maybe something they don't need to do. They start, you know, we, we love one another well, then we also love them, and so... Well, see, and I think that there's, there's two things, that the reason that I say that. One is the uh, textual evidence, but I think also it, it agrees with the context here. So notice here, in when he talks about wood, hay, or stubble, and so there's there's things that believers are doing in which they're just doing worthless things. Yeah. And they're convinced. you got a lot of believers, they're convinced that what they're doing is God-driven. And it's totally outside the will of God. They've convinced and deluded themselves into believing that they're doing exactly what God wants. And I'm not just saying this because I was there myself. There was a lot of things I did in the past. You couldn't have told me that wasn't what God wanted me to do. And I look back at it now and I say, yikes. <laughs> What's I doing? Why it was really not consistent with Scripture. A lot of the things that I was doing, for sure. Yes. wouldn't get, it would have stubble to it. It more would fall on the because. Right, because that's what I'm saying. It's not something that's lacking. In right. Character, it's not something it's terrible. It's just
1: something it's not. It has no
0: Worth, value to. Worth? Yeah. It correct. Into what you're doing, you know, you're building something that's going to go through the fire. Wood hand stubble has no value to it. it might look good, but it is. So I think it's probably. Yeah, I think that the evidence, as I looked at the evidence there, was more and, 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 But just think about that. So, again, I mean, it really gives credence to the fact of the believer really making sure that he's in the will of God, right? Because if you're not in the will of God, you're going to be over here doing things, and you've convinced yourself that these things, and you come up, and I guess a, an extreme example it was what I told you about um, um, Tanya Harding. After that controversy and she said she was going to go to the Olympics and she was going to be skating for Jesus well hey I don't know but people make up things like that right and they put Jesus's name on it and say boy that's it (laughs) that really makes that makes it (laughs) known that I'm doing this for God and God has nothing to do with what's going on I've read some of these books like I told you about that guy Rick Warren that purpose-driven life that book there, well, I don't even know if that guy's saved, so I, I don't know about that. So I don't even know if I could even use him as an example. But there are real believers that are doing things that absolutely are just wa- a waste of time. And they're convinced that they're doing what God wants them to do. And so you see that. Now notice he says in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. And so uh, it's in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. Interesting that word for manifest It's actually, so you have uh, uh, apocalypse, which is uh, to reveal something and to cause one to understand what it is. And then you have this word, uh, uh, funerah, it actually has the idea, it's just you just, whoops, there it is. You just put it out there. Right? You don't have to say anything about it, (laughs) it speaks for itself. And so notice, (laughs) you see it is being revealed by fire. Uh, So, excuse me, it shall be manifest for the day shall declare it. Really, it's make it visible. Make it plain. And notice, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the the fire shall try, shall put to the test for the purpose of approval every man's work of what sort it is. And so, no Morgan and Morgan up there. You're not going to have Morgan and Morgan saying, but Lord, this is why that work didn't work out. Okay. Uh, you just don't understand. Let me advocate for him here. Look at Dan Newland. <laughs> Y'all know Dan Newland saying, "Dan got me." <laughs> yeah, Dan months. got me a million good works. <laughs> you, you made a distinction,
1: Pastor, in this context. The trying there—that's a refi- I mean you—you you were explicit. Yeah. That's a refiner's fire. That's right. not a fire that is.
0: Destroying. it i mean that's uh that's not punishment that's a refinery right right and so notice it, it's the works are at view notice he never says anything about the person and so it's the works so you got these people who believe that this is going to be a christian purgatory and you're going to be up there and say, oh no god <laughs> please give me another chance on that one. No, no this is not going to be a bargaining time at all and I believe this is going to happen um, soon after the rapture. And I think you see that in First Thessalonians in, into a meeting with the Lord in the air. And it's going to happen immediately after the rapture. And so that's going to the works that we did through this body are going to have to be taken care of pretty quickly. So that when he presents us, there's not going to be one spot or any such thing regarding to the believer in that situation. And so. Anyway, so you see this uh, idea of the, 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 uh, the believer doing what is pleasing to the Father. The believer doing the will of God can be confident at the, the BMC judgment uh, that the works that he did were those that were not good for nothing. Um, notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. I just love that. Turn, turn over to the ninth chapter and then we'll move on from this uh, subject in the ninth chapter. I just love what he says here. And you see again the motivation of this guy. And notice what he says in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race, run all, but one receives the prize, so run that you might obtain. And every man that strives for mastery is temperate, already really is, exercises self-control in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore run not as uncertainly. And so you have an adverb there of one who really has no fixed goals. What other thing do you see in this life that people participate in it and they don't understand the point of it? I can only think of Christianity. (laughs) I really do. I mean, people become Christians and then they think, There's no there's no point as to what they are doing or that there is even any expectation of what they should be doing. And so notice he says, and I box or I fight not as one beating the air, one that uh, beats the air. Imagine Muhammad Ali when he was fighting Joe Frazier, for some of you guys who remember that. And so here's Joe Frazier over here and Muhammad Ali's over here just boxing the air. Just shadow boxing. And so you can see that with a lot of believers. They're running. He's using mixed metaphors here. He goes from running to actually fighting. But the the point that he's making here is there is an objective to what he's doing. That he's not just marking time. There's an objective to what he's doing while he's in his body. One of the the greatest things that I think is one of the the saddest commentaries on the church is that we haven't done a better job of, 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 of teaching believers that there's a point and a purpose to what God is doing here and how they fit into it. It's the saddest commentary on the church. And so you have believers who are just absolutely aimless in what they're doing. There's just absolutely no point to what they're doing. And notice what Paul says in verse 27. But I keep my body, uh, I keep under uh, my body and bring it into subjection. Or he could say, I, I beat my body severely. Now I notice in that Da Vinci Code movie, they had a guy that, I guess he thought that that's what you do. He had a little strap and... You know, these Stoics or whatever they do, they beat their back like they're some kind, keep their body under control, or you could beat his back and his sin nature was still out of control. (laughs) They could beat your body as much as you want to do. You're not beating the sin nature. Yeah. (laughs) They have a
1: sect in the Philippines called the Flagellantes, they do that every uh, Good Friday, and then, depending on the year... Much moxie they can must, but They actually crucify somebody. Don't leave them up there for all that long. But they get them on the actually, and they're doing
0: penance. And so, and you you think that that's doing something? It's not doing anything to the sin nature. As they found, the monks found out, and they found out by putting themselves in these monasteries that somehow they were going to separate themselves, and they didn't know that their sin nature went in there with them. <laughs> Some of the untold things they were doing in there, you just wouldn't even want to know. <laughs> And so that ain't, that's got nothing to do with it. And so, but Paul says, I beat my body, but the ideal of uh, of, of the, um, these, these uh, appetites is what he's talking about here. He's not talking about physically beating his body, but it's the appetites. To keep them under subjection, lest by any means, I ha- after I've preached to others, I myself would be a castaway. It really it's a really bad translation there. I would translate it this way, that I would not be disapproved. And so be put to the test and found to be lacking or wanting. And so, um, and so you see that. Now notice the believer can, handle, uh, can ask confidence with confidence according to God's will. And notice in 1 John 5, 14. And so one of the, another benefit of doing the will of God is the believer can know the will of God and he can ask according to God's will. <clears throat> <clears throat> Now, I would put this also as we read it with 1 John three, twenty one through 22. Now, notice in 1 John five fourteen. Um, look at verse 12, uh, excuse me, 13. These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that, you, um, uh, that written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever thing we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And so you have this, say, this is a standard of measurement of what God's will is, that if the believer asks anything according to God's will, he has the confidence of knowing that not only does God hear him, but that he has the things that he asks for. Now, this is an interesting thing, because you have a lot of people who, when they're asking communication, they say that they never get what God wants. They continue to ask God for things, and it doesn't happen. Well, I just have, of the frame of mind, uh, understanding that anything that you ask that is pursuant to God's will, not only do you have the confidence of knowing that he hears you, really, the word confidence there is the word parousia, and it's the boldness that you can have in asking of him. And really, the word asking is the word for atero, communication, in which you're asking something for yourself, right? That you ask of him. Now notice, you have that we not only uh, we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, but we know also that we have the petitions that we desire. Now I would put this also with First John three and verse twenty-two. I <clears> would <throat> uh, say twenty-one through twenty-three. <laughs> Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask. We receive of him because we keep his commandments. Now, we're going to see this, that this is not talking about the Ten Commandments. And I know that most people here would not say that. But again, we're talking about this Sunday. Every time you say the word commandment, do not say Ten Commandments. And so I know everyone here knows not to do that. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And now he's going to tell you what the commandment is that he just referred to. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the son of God of Christ and love one another as he gave us uh, commandment. And then you can see further over in um, uh, John 15 about the believer abiding, and being able to ask. (laughs) <laughs> uh, in the right. And I just think that what happens here is, is the believer that is abiding and he's uh, in the right relationship with the Holy Spirit that he's going to ask when he asks, is asking communication is going to be pursuing to what God desires. And that's going to be uh, bring about a high level of confidence that the believer is going to have the thing that he asked uh, for. And so that's one of the things that you see that is beneficial for the believer. And also the believer doing the will of God is able to feel at ease and to the age. Notice in 1 John 2, verse 17. So here we have this issue of loving the world and the problem of loving the world. So, this, you know, again, you see two things that are talked about and there's a distinction made here in verse 15. Love not the world Now, he's going to make a distinction between the people in the world and the things in the world. Already you can say, stop loving the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. But you cannot love the world and love the Father at the same time. So what's interesting today is the church is teaching people to love the world the church is actually teaching people to love the world. And more people would believe that than this. And so, for all that is in the world, the lust, now notice there's three things in the world system that appeal, that Satan has constructed the world system and the reason that he's constructed them is to take control of your sin nature and to control it in the way that he would like to control it so that you are not out there running around like these people, who's, the people who can't control their sin nature, who are murdering and pillaging and doing all kinds of things from their sin nature. He's put the world system here to keep you under control. And one of the best places you can see it, I've told you before, I've gone to New Orleans because I have a lot of relatives in New Orleans. And it just strikes me when I go into some of those areas how out of control they are. And all I see is sin nature everywhere. Now why is that? Because those people are not tied into the world system. They've got a lot of time on their hands. And you see the result of that. And so when a person has a job, they're invested in the world system, they're using the world system, they're able to, Satan's able to control the sin nature a little bit better. I mean, it's unlikely that you're going to do some things because of the fact that you, are, you will look at the fact of what I have to lose. And your sin nature will not do some of the things that it would do if you weren't tied into some of those things. And so, notice, the lust, really, uh, of the flesh, or the lust, lust pertaining to the flesh, the lust pertaining to the eyes... And so you have these two things in which he's appealing to your sin nature. And notice there's a a strong desire or craving that appeals to the eyes. Uh, Joyce used to work for a TV station in Portland. And in the advertising department, they understood the eye gate and how important it is to get people to buy things. And what did they do? They would make sure that everything was done to appeal to the eye gate. If it, were, if it were fruit they were selling, they would make sure that it was polished and looked shiny and beautiful so that when you saw it, it appealed to you. I didn't know that oranges looked like they really looked like until I came to Florida, and I think somebody here gave me some oranges, and I'm like, those are not oranges. You look at the oranges down here that are all dirtied and mangled. I didn't know that they had polished them and made them look a lot beautiful, uh, more beautiful when you see them in the store. You see them on the trees here and you say, yikes, who wants that? (laughs) But you know those oranges here, the oranges here are actually better than they are in other places that I've eaten them. But most people would reject them because they don't look good. And we've been trained that way in the world system to look at what appeals to the eyes. And here, this last thing, I think, is the thing that really makes the world go around. The pride of life. And really, it's the vainglory. It's the boasting that comes from biological life. If you took that out of the world system, people would lose their motivation to do anything. Right. And so it's the motivation to have things and to look at my things versus your things. And you can see it reflected on uh, bumper stickers today. Right. My kid is better than your kid. My kid's an honor student at such and such school. What about your kid? Or my wife is better than your wife, or all of this. Well, who cares? My kid beat up your honor student. <laughs> right, right, yes. Yes, all of this. One who dies with the most choice wins. I used to crack to that, a long time. Right, that's a good one. One who, one who dies with the most choice wins. And so you have all of these things that, that boast about the world system and the standing that people have in the world system. And so people are so concerned about their standing. Do you know what my son is or do you know what I'm doing? Bill Walsh, who was the coach of the San Francisco 49ers for so many years and had won so many Super Bowls, he was on an airplane and he was sitting by some gentleman and uh, he asked him, do you know who I am? And the guy says, no. (laughs) He was insulted that this guy didn't know that he was the great Bill Walsh and he had won all of these championships. Who cares? (laughs) Well, a lot of people do. And a lot of people put their stock on who they are. What difference does it make when you die? It's not going to make one bit of difference. You know, old Rush Limbaugh just died the other day. That guy was a multimillionaire. Doesn't it do him any good now? Not one strand of it. Doesn't matter how many people followed him. None of that matters. But do you know that is the thing in the world system that really is a winner for Satan? And it's what keeps the world system going. It really does. So this idea of the pride of life. And so notice in verse 17... And the world is pass- passing away. I like the way Pastor Dave actually translated this back a few years ago. He used an a illustration of uh, a wife being a, a bride coming down the aisle and being ushered by her husband, as Darlene did when she was married back some years ago. It's been about 10 years now. Or so. Yeah, it's going a long time. And so imagine a bride coming down the aisle and she is being ushered by her husband. She's not her husband, but her, her father. And so that's a picture of the world system being ushered out. You know, when you get into the tribulation period, uh, at the end of the tribulation period, that the world system is going to be destroyed. And everyone's going to be mourning it. No more world system. What will you do? Think about it. How would life? How different life would be without your iPhone. <laughs> how different life would be without all of these perks and these things that people have. Well, you see the picture of people mourning. During mourning, because there is no more world system. And uh, and so it's being ushered out. But notice, but he that does the will of God, the one doing the desirous will of God abides into the age. He feels that he's right into the age. I mean, it's not like there's a big herky-jerky motion for the believer who's abiding, that he's doing the will of God over here, and he's going to be doing the will of God right into the age. I mean, it's, for a lot of people, it's a big thing. I mean, as things change, they've got to adjust to it. But when you are abiding in the Son and you are actually doing the will of God, there's not this big change for you as there would be for some. And so a lot of believers, but they're not there. I mean, they are all over the map. And I just think it's really sad when you really understand what God is doing and that he has this plan and purpose and he's allowed us to participate in it and that each one of us, he's allowed us to be a participant in what he's doing and while we're in these bodies, We have the opportunity to fulfill what his desire is for us in this life. I wonder sometimes, as you look back at the Beamer Judgment, you know what a mulligan is in in golf? You know, you say, I mean, how many people probably have, and I don't know, we probably won't say this, right? I don't know if we'll get a chance to say this because we're not going to have our sin nature. Can I get a do-over? But you can see that in this life, right? Many things that you did that you didn't fully understand. Um, I understand football better than I did when I played it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand it. I want to go back, right, Carl? <laughs> and say, well, if I could go back and play now, boy, I'd be a star. Too bad, I think. <laughs> maybe. No, we got to talk. <laughs> But just the knowledge that you have on the other side of something, you see, I mean, you you see it totally different than you did when you were going through it. And I think that that's what's happening here and that the potential that I don't think the believer is going to get on the other side of it and really have these angst because I I think that it's going to be different. I don't know how different it's going to be, but I don't think you're going to be over there lamenting this. But you're on this side of it and there's the potential now that you and I can live in the will of God. And the potential of being able to realize that God has a desirous will for us and he has it all laid out. All we have to do is allow him to do it through us. And that's a huge difference in all those works that we are engaging in and the things that we do. Those are things, and he brings it our way. I think Philippians is just a huge passage that it is God who is energizing in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. This is not like the believers having to make it up. I wasn't looking to come here to Florida. I didn't even know these people here in Florida. God was the one that opened the door. And I'm sure for many of you, it's the same way, and so that's that's a huge thing when you un, and when you understand it, and, and uh, it makes a huge difference. Now, here's our conclusion here, and I did put Pastor Dave's chart on the back. <coughs> now, here on this chart, I just wanted to illustrate here how it's possible that you have the perfect will of God for a maturing believer, and the believer's will, and he's as he's maturing, he's right in the center of doing what God desires and what God's will is, and then you have a carnal believer, and what do they do? They're moving in and out of the will of God. And so they're move, hitting, hitting God's will here. They get carnal. Boom, 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 boom. You just have inconsistency. And I think that what you see that with a lot of believers in their lives, and they're just all over the map, just all over the map. Now, on the last page, I like Pastor Dave's um, chart that he did when he was doing the will of God series when we were in Oregon. This chart here I just think is a wonderful chart. Because it shows the potential of what can happen as a believer makes decisions to live outside of the will of God and it just keeps moving you into directions and sometimes you can make decisions that will move you into direction where you can never make your way back to what God's perfect will is for your life. And I've seen it with people who have married people that they shouldn't be married to and they've made decisions to marry someone and boy, their lives have taken a turned in the wrong direction, and it's, made, it's become hard for them to be able to make it back. Now, our conclusion here is living in the will of God is essential for every believer. It is impossible to live in the, um, this life apart from the will of God. Scripture proves that God has a plan for time upon the earth. The believer plays a role in God's plan. God <clears throat> provides for believers to do his will. God desires believers to know his will and to be led by the Spirit in putting together and executing it. God provides the things needed to do his will to the believer, asking pursuant to his will. The Apostle Paul had one mission, to do, his, uh, to do the will of God. His focus was summed up in his second epistle to the church at Corinth. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we might be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. May each believer be led um, or guided by a similar view in living the will of God. And so, very important. I really think the will of God is very important for believers in this life. And uh, I just hope that every believer would come to understand that there is a purpose for why you're here. And you're not just marking time. I hope you're not. And I hope that you are allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct you to do what He wants, what uh, uh, is God's will for your life. All right, let's bond the word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of looking at these things and grateful that as believers that we have the opportunity to do those things well, pleasing to you. Thankful for the privilege that you've given us for being in these bodies and being able to do that. In your son's name, we pray. Amen.